but they'll never go anywhere. You know, it'll be, it'll flop, et cetera, et cetera. You know, haters doing and saying hater shit for no reason. Like, why? Like, why the fuck do you care? Why, why root for somebody else to fail? You don't have to root for somebody to win if you don't want to, but rooting for them to fail seems like an exercise in futility. It's like, put that energy towards something positive for yourself. I digress. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 197 of the Spun Today podcast, and in this episode, I speak about watching three stand-up comedy specials, Neil Brennan's Unacceptable, Michael Che's Shame the Devil, and Drew Michael's Red, Blue, Green. I also speak about watching the movie King Richard, starring Will Smith. And close the year-end show on a high note of a few goats doing goat shit. This is the final episode of 2021 for the Spun Today podcast. And I do hope you stick around for all that good stuff. But first, I want to share with you a few ways you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. You choosing to do so, aside from being highly appreciated, frees me up to create even more content. One day, the show will garner so much support that it will allow me to create so much content that you're going to get sick of me. But until that point in time, a small effort from you today will go a long and encouraging way to getting us there. So with that said, here is a quick way that you can help support the show if you so choose. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors in all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. Spuntoday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spuntoday logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spuntoday podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. Neil Brennan's unacceptable. Not that Neil Brennan himself is unacceptable. His latest stand-up special is titled Unacceptable. So for those of you who may not know, Neil Brennan is a stand-up comic. He's a writer, co-created The Chappelle Show, has written on a bunch of other shows and movies half-baked for example he created with dave Chappelle as well he's a director directed a bunch of things including a nike commercial or more than one where one of which at least i know kobe starred in which as you all know is one of my goats and i covered neil's 2017 stand-up comedy special which was his first stand-up comedy special it was named three mics and when i spoke about that special here on the Spun today podcast i said then still mean it today, 
three mics was that year the best single thing that I consumed. The best single thing that I saw. That includes TV shows and series and movies and other stand-up specials and music, everything. Podcast, you name it. It was so dope. So when I heard of this new show that Neil was touring, I was excited to check it out. But at the same time, kind of like cautiously optimistic because the bar, I set the bar so high myself. You know what I mean? Based on three mics. And he was posting like all the, like yeah, he was taking like pictures with fans outside of the theater where he was running this new set and like a bunch of famous people were going to watch it, including other comics like Chris Rock, Todd Barry, actors and actresses, uh, Tony Hawk, Natasha Leon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The show was initially running for six weeks only, but it was doing so well. They booked it for an additional, I believe, six more weeks. And it was also an opportunity for me and my wife to go out, have a little date night, which, you know, during COVID times and having two kids at home now, one of them being, well, now one years old, not really newborn. But with all that going on is now like few and far between. So I was really excited to go check this out. And with all that said, with all that buildup, I am glad to say that it was fucking awesome. It was such a dope follow-up to Three Mics. You know, you feel that kind of like sophomore slump, if it exists within comedy. And just having like such high expectations for it. I'm so happy with the experience and Neil just knocked it out the park yet again. First of all, the theater. Shout out to Cherry Lane Theater in downtown Manhattan, which has been around since like 1923. It's on this like... Not exactly cul-de-sac, but like this rounded corner block that it's like very picturesque. It literally looked like a fake uh, street like set, like on a movie or TV show or something like that. You know what it looks like from the show Friends when they're not when they pan that like actual building that's in the city somewhere um, by the like coffee house. But like when they're standing outside by the fire hydrant and stuff like that, like walking by the coffee house like that corner that like rounded fake looking new york city corner that's literally exactly what it looked like so much show that i think they shot that there like all those scenes it's a really really cool block like i I took a couple pictures of it other people were thinking the same i overheard somebody saying nobody lives in those buildings these these shits have to be fake like it looks so like pictures perfect movie like you know and it's a small intimate theater i don't know how many people it holds and i'm you know, bad with like estimating and stuff like that, but I would say 150, maybe 200 people. Like it was really small and intimate, which was really cool. One uh, bummer to the experience, which I guess is just more so chalk it up to like a testament of the times, you know, COVID times and shit that we're in, is that everyone had to uh, wear a mask throughout the entire show. Everyone in the audience that is obviously not Neil, but that soon melted away. Like the, the thought of that. Because the show was so good. You know, since this was a, a live show, obviously, that we went to go see. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be, like, recorded. And we'll see it one day, like, streaming on Netflix or, or HBO, wherever Neil decides to, to go with it. I'm not going to, you know, spoil, like, any of the jokes or anything like that. Plus, it's not like when I'm watching, like, a show at home and I have the ability to, like, pause or, like, jot something down on my phone and stuff like that. A live show, I'm not going to be, like, whipping on my phone. But what I will say is that it was really funny. It was engaging. I love the set design, by the way, which I, I guess I'll give 
a piece of this way. It's like really minimalistic. It's like a blue background, like the lighting and had kind of like a tic-tac-toe kind of board in the back center that was created by an artist friend of his, which he speaks about. And each piece, picture like the X's and O's, instead of X's and O's, it's like one, one piece is a microphone and another piece is like a block that's in the shape of the money bag emoji, et cetera, et cetera. And he, throughout the special, he interacts with the board and he tells you different stories based on what each of those blocks represent. So that was like a pretty cool touch. And it was really funny. And why the reason why I gravitate most to Neil is his introspection. He is, and there was a lot of this uh, within three mics as well, very engaging, very funny, and just has like that precise, objective clarity and awareness of himself that folks seem to have or obtain post-therapy sessions or post doing something cathartic that helps reveal to you aspects of yourself. At least that's how it seems to me as the audience from the outside looking in. And amongst like all the different subgenres of comedy, that emo-ish kind of in tune with yourself awareness style is definitely amongst my favorite. So I definitely, definitely recommend it when it comes out. If you guys didn't have a chance to see it live, definitely when it comes out and is streaming, it's definitely a high recommendation from moi to you. Neil Brennan's Unacceptable, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. See what I did there? <laughs> that um, is compliments of my Christmas gift to myself, the Rodecaster Pro. I definitely want to tell you guys more about that, especially my fellow podcast heads out there. But I'll circle back to it once I figure out how to use this thing because it's really cool. It has a bunch of like buttons and knobs and slides and shit. But aside from figuring out how to record and setting up the voice levels and stuff like that, I'm not fully ready to opine but I definitely will in the near future. Michael Che's Shame the Devil. This one is streaming now and available on Netflix, which was surprising to me. I thought uh, he would go with HBO. I believe his last special was with HBO. A recent uh, series of his, which I spoke about on the podcast, I think it's called That Damn Michael Che, is also on HBO. But it's cool to see it on, on Netflix. You know, Netflix is one of the biggest platforms for comedy specials. And from his perspective, it's like, uh, well, I'm assuming Netflix came with the bigger bag, but it's a positive thing from a diversification perspective, right? Not to have all your shit just on one platform. Michael Che, for those of you who don't know, is a stand-up comedian. Obviously, he's also a longtime cast member of SNL. He does the Weekend Update, if I'm not mistaken, which, if also I'm not mistaken, is like one of the coveted positions within SNL. And I honestly don't know him as much from that, but from his stand-up comedy and that show that I mentioned, that damn Michael Che. His last special was dope. Uh, shout out to my brother, David, who is a Spuntare alum, who put me onto this one. Let me know that this one was out. And I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Michael Che is clever. So I'm no stand-up comedy expert, right? I'm just a consumer. But I consume a lot of it, and I listen amongst the podcasts that I listen to, comedy podcasts of you know comedians like obviously Joe Rogan, Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz, Duncan Trussell, Tom Segura, 
Brendan Shaw, Brian Callen, Andrew Schultz, who just got married. Congratulations to him. Akash Singh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mark Normand. Like, I'm a fan of this world, right? But again, I'm no comedy expert. I've never done stand-up comedy. Never would. That shit scares the fuck out of me. But my perception from the outside looking in and through the lens of a writer, which is what I view, what I consume through, like, I'm always looking at movies and TV shows and including stand-up comedy specials through the perspective of the writer, of the written word. And I believe that being clever, as Michael Che is, is amongst the top currencies within the comedy world. I guess I don't really think there's like a right and wrong. It's a matter of perspective when it comes to stuff like that. But that thought is like heavily influenced based, again, like on my taste and the type of comedy that I'm into. And to you, it might be different and obviously to each his own. But I want to share with you guys some of the like cleverest, funniest points that like resonated with me from the special so there will be spoilers now's your chance to fast forward a bit if you haven't seen the special yet and these things aren't in any particular order probably somewhat chronological because like i'll jot down notes like as i'm watching but you know no particular order from like what i like the best to the worst etc one of the funniest things he said in my opinion was uh, how chinese people brought broccoli to the hood and he called them, he had like a, a tagline to it, which made me die laughing, which was, um, you know, let me get a, instead of a beef and broccoli, he was like, let me get a beef and little trees. Because <laughs> black folks just didn't know what the hell that was. About the vaccine, the vaccine skepticism, like he spoke to that. It was like free medicine in America? Since when? <laughs> um, oh, this was like one of my, the lines like one of the bits that i thought was like the cleverest and he was speaking about how having a big dick is could be a burden and is not always a good thing he likened it to having a hundred dollar bill at a vending machine and being super thirsty <laughs> it's like it's it's nice at all but it's not going in oh this was hilarious he goes he's speaking about like black, the black lives matter movement and stuff like that and not like going out to march and then um, thinking about speaking to his grandkids and like he was scared to like go out and protest because of COVID and shit. And he likened it to imagine speaking to his grandfather and saying, hey, grandpa, how come, you know, how was it, you know, during Selma, the marches in, in Selma down south? And he was like, imagine my grandfather would have been like, I didn't march in Selma because there was a really bad flu that summer. You're like, damn, you look at him like, you bitch ass grandfather. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm not doing any of these jokes justice. I want to say that vehemently. And I'm 100% paraphrasing. You should all still definitely watch this special yourself. Uh, he speaks about the national anthem and how this was really good too. He, um, he said how it's like listening to R. Kelly now, like after you know all that you know. And it's like the music is still good. But it's kind of hard to not think about that other thing. <laughs> so obviously R. Kelly with the underage girls and with the national anthem. The other thing being slavery and the sins of this nation. Uh, a couple more things that I jotted down here. He spoke about Trump and how he wasn't all bad. He was just like the worst nigga to be right about anything right now. Because he was like, Trump just said shit like, yo, the FBI sets people up and the media be lying about it. And he was like, mm. 
He's not wrong, but he's just the worst nigga to be right right now. <laughs> he had a couple themes relating back to like mental health and stuff like that. Now we speak about mental health more so, but back in the day we we didn't, especially within you know certain black and brown communities. He gave the example of Flavor Flav. He was like, this dude walked around with a huge ass clock all the time to this day still does and a fucking viking helmet that's not nothing like something's wrong with him (laughs) and then sticking with the uh mental health theme he was speaking about like chicks that were clearly bipolar they'd be flipping out for no reason that he's dated and stuff like that and and how they just give like excuses or reasons like oh i'm just a gemini you know i get like that sometimes and he was like nah keisha (laughs) that ain't being (laughs) that ain't being no fucking gemini I think I got something else here. Hold on. There you go. That's what I deserve for my delivery. Or. Dope joke, though. And lastly, he goes. And by lastly, I just mean the last thing that I jotted down that resonated was, again, speaking to the mental health disparity and acknowledgement between communities of color and, and white communities. And he was like, you know how white of a lady you had to be before to get anxiety? And now I can get it too. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> it was a really, really clever special. Very funny. Definitely highly recommend. Michael Che, Shame the Devil is the name of the special. And it's streaming now on Netflix. Check it out. Drew Michaels Red, Blue, Green is available now on HBO. My brother again, shout out to David, put me on to this uh, second special of Drew Michaels being out. The first one I really enjoyed as well. I've spoken about it here in the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. I definitely have some free writing pieces that came out of his first comedy special, certain lines that really, really resonated with me that, um, as you guys know, I do uh, free writing session episodes of this podcast where I'll like write and reflect on you know, something, a line from a movie or a TV show or a piece of dialogue or something like that that resonated with me. There were a couple from Drew Michael's first special, I think one or two of which were actually in the actual special and another one that was in within the extra features of that first special that I really liked and I wrote to. Um, that you guys can find on my website somewhere, uh, sponsored.com forward slash free writing. I'll link to them in the episode notes to the like direct pieces if you guys are interested in uh, checking them out. But again, those are based on Drew Michael's first special, which I think was just named Drew Michael. This one again, also on HBO, titled Red, Blue, Green, starting with the title, a noticeable, uh, creative, interesting thing. I'm not sure what the meaning is behind it, but red, blue, green is like miscolored, the fonts are. So like red is in the title, the font is green and blue. The font is red and the green, the word green has, is in a font of a uh, shade of blue or whatever, or something to that effect, which I thought was pretty cool. Not sure again, like what the meaning behind it is, but it did remind me, I thought I misremembered Drew Michael being colorblind for some reason. I, but I think that like color miscoordination thing there, like made me think that, but it did remind me that there was something going on with him and what it is, which he touches on again on uh, this special is hearing loss and the fact that he needs like hearing aids and shit like that but yeah this was a really good special very funny 
very again within that same like Neil Brennan-ish kind of emo-ish introspective kind of lane um but sprinkled with a lot of funny heavier I would say on the like introspective Drew figuring shit out for himself kind of side and the cool thing is that when folks do things like that and they share it with us you know through their art whether it be stand the comedy in this case or writing or podcasting you're able as the consumer to take gems away from it and apply it to your own life and say oh i think like that too sometimes oh i noticed that in myself but yeah there will be spoilers in this one as well so fast forward if you guys are not interested now's your time to do so spoiler alert and here are a few things that resonated with me from drew michael's latest comedy special the first one was a joke about or a bit about what if uh, Jack would have survived on uh, the Titanic if they both would have survived. And then he like fast forwards into like them living in like a tenement building. At least this is how I pictured it in my mind. I'm not sure if you said these again. Again, I'm like paraphrasing and partly going off of shorthand notes that I took while watching the special and part going by memory. So they're married in the future and living in a tenement building not doing well financially and she's just like in a fight with with jack and she's like telling him i was married to a fucking billionaire i had to sell that necklace just to pay the fucking heating bill you haven't sold a sketch in years jack i thought that was really funny that's what i feel i'm getting back from you dear listener when i should be getting not that or that or that there you go. Okay. Uh, he was speaking about actors and how like brave they pretend to be with certain things when they like speak out about like certain issues and stuff like that. He said something to the effect of all you do is pretend to be what other people are actually are their whole lives. Like you dare to be middle class. Ooh. <laughs> he was like, um, these are the same people that'll be like watching people killing each other and like having the land masses of earth like melting into the ocean while they tweet from their like loft on mars and then change their profiles to like blue circles to show that they support earth you know like all that like virtue signaling shit that certain actors do he threw a jab at podcasters which i did not appreciate being one myself <laughs> but um it was kind of funny and he didn't name the podcast specifically, but he seemed to be speaking about Rogan's because, you know, he said like middle-aged white guy and the people that follow him are like in a collective narcissistic uh, bubble and he sells CBD pills and sex toys every five minutes, supposedly. But his point was definitely well taken in terms of like that was part of like a bigger bit or larger point of like divisiveness and, you know, certain people being only on the left, certain people being only on the right, and then a group of folks that are, like, fuck both sides, but that rally around, like, the, quote-unquote, whether it be somebody else on social media or, like, a podcaster like Rogan, and fall into this collective narcissism bubble. Which I guess it's, like, it's, like, a fair point in some ways, but I guess I just thought less so because, like, I know where that like critique uh, is coming from like being such a like a rogan fan or whatever for a long time 
I know that they kind of like shat on Drew Michaels like first uh, special a bit and you know kind of labeled it like not being comedy within like the podcast world so he probably felt like slighted or something in some way but that's just me speculating he had a really funny joke where he goes um that you know Steve Jobs was a bad father and everybody everybody knows that but we as consumers reap the benefits of his bad parenting um he was like like every time you see a blue text bubble on your iPhone that was like Steve Jobs missing a piano recital <laughs> and he kind of had like this either or like binary kind of theme uh throughout the special and like this one this one line kind of like coined that which was uh, he spoke about how Isaac Newton created calculus but he also died a virgin and he was like could you could he have created calculus while fucking he was like you know he doesn't know because obviously it's never been done but he was playing around with that like either or theme which i definitely find interesting and this is definitely a line that i really really liked and i'm probably gonna free write too but he said how great can something be if it's built on avoidance and he went on to speak about how like those greats like steve jobs and isaac newton how they ran away from intimacy within like their immediate circle and into the arms of ambition. And that's why they were like so driven. Again, not just because they were ambitious, but because they were avoiding intimacy. And I thought this was a, a clever line. He was like, I'm not comparing myself to them. And he adds, um, it's a matter of scale. <laughs> it's just like, I am comparing myself to them, but you know, just factoring in the matter of scale, which I thought was a clever way of putting it. And he said about like um, certain of these figures, like a Steve Jobs, for example, how they were like adored by the world, but hated by those closest to them. And he said about what he does, you know, in terms of like doing stand-up comedy, is that he contorts his own mind for sadness and turns it into a balloon animal for you. And by you, he means us, the viewing audience. And from a technical perspective, I thought... Something that Drew Michaels, or Drew Michael, does really well is that he works. He works within the silence of the crowd really well. Like he holds silences. Like a lot of comics, like rush to like fill in every silence and don't like let things like simmer and like marinate. They're like scared of that emptiness or that like lack of sound. Uh, but he lives in that. There's a lot of like pauses. It's definitely, um, in my opinion, a strong suit of his. And at the end, he closed with a really dope, introspective, clearly like therapy enhanced monologue that I'm not going to spoil for you guys, but it was really, really good. Now, the last thing that I'll spoil for you guys was, I thought, fucking so dope, like paradigm shifting within like the comedy space. And it's kind of like one of those things that like once done, I don't know if it can be done again, or it's something that is just going to be done a lot. And it was like so cool, so innovative, I thought. So the entire thing, the entire special shot, and it seems like a very small, intimate room of like 25, 30 people or something like that. He's on stage, you know, he's speaking to the audience. And oh, actually, let me take a step back just to add some context to what I said before about like certain podcasters, including Rogan, like criticizing the first special. Uh, what they criticized was like that style that that Drew Michael and and Gerard Carmichael, which is another dope comic and creative in his own right, and has been on Rogan's podcast actually, especially when he was uh, promoting Drew Michael's special, I believe at the time. 
they decided to shoot it with no audience. So it was like a stand-up comedy special with no audience, kind of like that was like two against the grain. You know what I mean? Like stand-up comedy like requires an audience to like bounce off of from a material perspective. But this was, I don't know. I li- I, like I said at the start of this, I really liked it, but it was kind of sort of a different type of thing. It was still stand-up. It was still funny. But again, introspective, had visuals, etc. So it was a bit different at the same time. And so this, so I say that, it took that step back just to reiterate that, you know, now he's doing it with an audience, this second special. And it's, but it's a very small audience. At least that's what we see throughout the entire special. Then at the very end, the camera starts panning back, panning away, and like moving back. And you start seeing like a wider view of the intimate stage and, you know, room where Drew Michaels is performing. And as the camera pans back, you notice that Drew Michaels is, instead of standing on the stage and facing an audience, he's standing on the right side. There's a stage set up on a stage. And then the audience that he was speaking to that we were seeing the entire time, that like 20, 30 people, they were on stage with him, on the actual stage facing him. But it was like left to right. And then the camera pans out even more. And you see that they are within a theater, like, you know, one of those like tiered theaters with a few thousand seats. And there are folks watching the stage, kind of like you would watch like a a play, for example. And on that stage is that small group of folks on the left and Drew Michaels on the right that was performing to them the whole time with the folks within the theater watching both, in essence, like watching that interaction of Drew Michaels performing to that small intimate group. It was like really clever, really cool. It's never been done that I know of. And when I saw it, that was just like a, it was f- fucking mind blowing to me. <laughs> like it was really, really innovative and and cool. I really like that. And it's kind of like best of both the worlds, like from the comics perspective, obviously, you know, the other people are there like within the theater, but you're kind of performing to a small, tiny, intimate setting at the same time. And I will say that in closing, Drew Michael directed this one himself. But Gerard Carmichael did executive produce, which I thought was pretty dope. Anyway, that was Drew Michael's Red, Blue, Green, streaming now on HBO. You guys should definitely check it out. King Richard, based on the true story that will inspire the world, starring Will Smith, is a movie that I was looking forward to as soon as I saw the trailer for it, as soon as I heard that the movie was coming out. I actually featured the trailer of the movie in my weekly newsletter as a video of the week a few months ago. If you're interested, please feel free to subscribe absolutely for free at spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. And you'll be put on to some dope stuff like that. Anyway, I was really looking forward to this movie and it did not disappoint at all. It actually exceeded my expectations. Here is the official synopsis of the movie and then I'll give you some recap and uh, reflecting on it. King Richard is a look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. And it's really dope how the movie focuses on the father, hence the, the name King Richard, who was the visionary, if you will, and like primary force behind what Venus and Serena became. Obviously, it's a family effort. The mother, as King Richard's partner, had a lot to do with it as well, obviously. And most obviously, you know, Venus and Serena's talents and 
work ethic and skill is what made it all come to fruition. But Richard Williams, as the story goes, from before they were even born, had a plan to make his daughters tennis stars and wrote out this, I think it was like 13 or 70 page plan on how he would coach them, how he would teach himself tennis, how he would get them signed up to uh, get coached by elite coaches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he had, you know, a little Joe Jackson-ish vibes, you know, minus the, <laughs> minus the physical abuse. But he definitely had like that drive and that push to like make them work hard and try to achieve perfection. And Will Smith, I'll say, which made this movie happen, did like such an amazing job. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he was like nominated for a bunch of awards behind this. Did an amazing job. And I'm actually reading Will's book now, self-titled Will, which I'm going to do a full, you know, breakdown on uh, once I complete it for a future free writing session episode, probably the next free writing session episode. I'll be done with the book by then, but it's fucking amazing. And in reading it, I've gotten like more like insight into like Will, obviously as a person, because it's a very introspective book, but his ideas and thoughts behind like acting. And I've always thought of him as like a good actor, obviously, but just like a, you know, everybody likes Will Smith kind of like actor. Like I didn't think of him as like an actor, you know, like a, like an artist actor until reading his book and then remembering like all the roles and stuff like that, that he has played and how maybe I never thought of him that way because it was like, it seemed it came off as like effortless for him. And he was like, just so good at everything that he's been in. And I'm someone that even liked Wild Wild West, for example, put it that way. <laughs> um, but anyway, this role is definitely like some next level shit from an acting perspective for Will. So definitely kudos to him. But here are some takeaways of mine uh, from the movie that I want to share with you guys. There was a, a scene with him and, you know, his kids, you know, going to sleep. And uh, he has them say a quote back to him that he always tells them about like them sleeping and or, you know, like having to wake up early to go work on on tennis and stuff, which was, quote, don't nothing come to a sleeper but a dream, end quote. I really enjoyed the dynamic between the parents and like the ingenuity that they showed in like being able to like work together as a unit to accomplish a specific goal that they set out for, even though it wasn't without, you know, their own like turbulent, you know, times and issues which was highlighted with a like a conversation slash fight that Richard and his wife had where his wife had to check him and check his ego. And it was a powerful scene and it helped like put things in perspective for him in terms of his wife also being there with him. And it's not all about him and like his idea. And just because he had the vision initially and the fact that he was kind of like shunning away other, his other kids and, you know, focusing solely on Venus or mainly on Venus. But there was a great scene where that highlights the, again, the like ingenuity of the parents being on the same page, which is when Richard finally got his kids like to a tennis coach that was like in the middle of like coaching like Pete Sampras, I think, and like uh, another famous tennis player. And he actually agreed to, to coach uh, one of the girls. You know, the way he did this, by the way, was just like showing up while they were in the middle of a training session and when they took a break, you know, jumping in and saying, hey, can you just look at my girls just hit the tennis ball, you know, a few times around, you know, they're okay with it or whatever, blah, blah, kind of like pushing himself in, in an unorthodox way. Uh, but long story short, the coach agreed to uh, only coach Venus. 
what the parents decided to do was they videotaped each and every one of Venus's uh, uh, sessions with this world-class coach on VHS. And then the mother would take those VHSs and the next day, you play them and use them to uh, coach Serena. And I thought that was, you know, really dope, really innovative and just like cool that they were on the same page like that. Because, you know, it was a dream that both the girls had, both Venus and Serena. Another really powerful scene was when Richard had like this reluctance to let Venus go pro any or semi pro, I think it was or pro. I don't remember, but it was like, you know, moving up to the next level, like he wanted her to wait a little bit longer. But he realized that the reluctance was more based on him and things that he was like dealing with internally versus, you know, thinking that she wasn't ready or something like that. And he has this like really powerful scene with her where he tells her this story about being a kid and, you know, accidentally touching a white man on his hand, like when he was like picking something up for him or something like that. And he, that he got like beat down. He got like beat up because at the time, you know, a black person wasn't worthy, quote unquote, I guess, of like touching a white person. Like that's like blasphemous back then. And he said that he remembers that while he was there getting beat, like his dad saw and his dad like ran away in fear. And he was trying to explain to Venus that when she goes pro, no matter what happens to her, he won't be able to protect her in that same way. And that was a really, really powerful scene. What that was though was, was pretty funny is when he was going around, you know, to different like coaches and he was going to country clubs and stuff like that, like tracking down these coaches that he would see in like tennis magazines and stuff like that, you know, coach of so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And he would track these people down and, you know, show them like a pamphlet uh, that he created of this, you know, plan for their entire careers and that they should, you know, take a risk and, and coach his daughters, you know, they would pass. It was like the logical thing for them to do. He was, uh, you know, raising two girls from, from Compton where they grew up. Not really a, a sport for, or tennis rather is a sport for like the affluent. You know what I mean? They probably all just saw it like as a long shot. But Richard, each time he would just like just respond with, you're making a big mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. And I like that. I like that line. Then, oh, after I think that first coach, the one that was like, all right, fuck it. Um, you know, you're here, you're in my face, you're annoying us, you're interrupting our fucking training. I'll see the, I'll see them like hit the uh, ball around or whatever, whatever you call it in tennis. And after that, he tells Richard, I think you might have the next Michael Jordan. And then Richard like promptly corrects him and says, Oh no, brother man, I got to me the next two. That was so dope. Lastly, like if you guys know the story of Venus and Serena, they're like two of the best tennis players of all time. Venus was the first African-American tennis player, period, I believe. Definitely the uh, the first African-American female tennis player to become like the best in the world. And Serena Williams, her younger sister, which came up after her, is largely regarded as the greatest not only the greatest tennis player of all time, but she's always mentioned in the conversation of the goat of the goats. So like, you know how they speak about who's the best of like the best across like all different sports, like was Michael Jordan, the best basketball player or, or you know, the, the greatest goat. Is it Tom Brady in, in the NFL? Is he the greatest goat? Is it Mayweather? Is he the greatest goat? There's always an argument that Serena Williams with what she was able to accomplish mixed with the competition that she had 
and the unlikelihood of her, you know, being able to do what she did, that she is the greatest goat of all the goats, which is crazy. And there's a scene in the movie where Richard, after having this, you know, ego checking conversation with his wife when, when they got into a fight and she highlighted that he was neglecting his other kids, says to him, or he sees uh, Serena rather, and winds up telling her, you know, I know this is hard for you. You know, your your sister Venus is going to be number one tennis player in the world. And I know you're happy for her and you're proud of her, but I know it's also hard for you as well. And Serena acknowledges that, yeah, it is. And he tells her that he knew that growing up in Venus's shadow would help mold her into the greatest to ever do it. And that's exactly how it played out. It's a fucking great movie. Amazing story. You know, certain things, obviously, movies like this are exaggerated for dramatic effect. I don't know how much of it was, how much much of it wasn't. But as a story with the tagline, you know, based on the true story that will inspire the world, it absolutely does just that and completely lives up to it. King Richard, starring Will Smith, was available in theaters and streaming on HBO as well. I'm not sure if it still is streaming on HBO, but wherever it is, wherever it's available, I highly recommend that you folks check it out. Goats doing goat shit. In this segment of the Sponsor Day podcast, I like to highlight just that. Goats doing goat shit. People becoming goats and moving the way goats should move. Whether that be the underdog obtaining a great monumental deal, whether it's a goat or an innovator in their respective space creating something amazing. Just folks that are within my radar that I pick up on that I like to tip the proverbial hat to and say, good shit, man, and congratulations. And I got three of those instances for you guys today in this final episode of 2021, episode 197 of the Spawn Today podcast. First up in Goats Doing Goat Shit is Rory and Maul. Rory and Maul, I've spoken about here on the podcast in the past, several different episodes, especially during the uh, Joe Budden podcast beef and breakup and stuff that they were a part of and then them going out on their own and creating their own uh, podcast and putting out different types of content on YouTube, like uh, comedic skits and just branching out when folks were kind of like, you know, they were, they were like the, the B team or like the B players on the Joe Budden podcast and giving them like so much shit. And I'm not going to rehash all the details of that breakup. Uh, you guys that are interested in that can definitely go back and Listen to the back catalog of the Sponsor Day podcast if you want my take on that stuff or just, you know, Google JBP, Rory and Maul, and I'm sure you'll find tons of commentary on that situation. I'm here to big them up on their latest deal with Stitcher. So after Rory and Maul started their own podcast, people gave them shit, told them, you know, it'll have some hype in the beginning just because of all the attention that the breakup of the JBP podcast got. But they'll never go anywhere. You know, it'll be, it'll flop, et cetera, et cetera. You know, haters doing and saying hater shit for no reason. Like, why? Like, why the fuck do you care? Why Why root for somebody else to fail? You don't have to root for somebody to win if you don't want to. But rooting for them to fail seems like an exercise in futility. It's like, put that energy towards something positive for yourself. I digress. Stitcher, which is now owned by SiriusXM, it's a subsidiary of Sirius, is like one of the largest pod 
catchers, podcast platforms like uh, Spotify, for example, like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher is another version of. Rory and Maul inked a rumored $10 million deal for their new podcast, the new Rory and Maul with Stitcher. Now, the details of the deal is, or entails rather, that the new Rory and Maul podcast will be, or was as of November 2nd, 2021, released through Stitcher's More Sauce label. But interestingly, with uh, Stitcher deals and others that I've heard mentioned and and so on, that they're not exclusivity deals, which is interesting to me because I'm trying to figure out Stitcher's like angle on it. I guess it's just like a a content type of thing. You know, you know what I mean? Like how Spotify took or had JBP's podcast, for example, at one point in time as exclusive. They have Joe Rogan's podcast as exclusive. You can't listen to those podcasts anywhere else um, while they're within that window of exclusivity. For Stitcher, they signed this $10 million deal. They allow the show to be completely, you know, open. And the hosts, Rory Mall, still retain 100% ownership of their IP. They own 100% of the show. So it's like, and the show was on Stitcher before then as well, if I'm not mistaken. Just like Spun Today Podcast, is, it's on Stitcher, it's on Spotify, it's everywhere, right? It's wide. It's a wide show. So they're continuing to do the exact same thing, but just got a $10 million here, hold that <laughs> validation to do so, which is dope, man. I love seeing that. I love seeing like the underdog have it their day and just break from the JBP, which I loved that show. I hated how it ended. Like most, most of us fans of the show did. Um, I still watch some episodes of JBP, some clips, but I've been liking the Rory and Maul content like more and more. I'm glad they've gotten tons of support. They were able to like hold on and grow their own audience and just create like I said, different types of content and skits along with the the pod. That must be like super validating for them. As a fan, it's definitely uh, validating to see. But I definitely do have to look more into like the business aspect of that this type of podcast deal, which again, this is not the first one that I've heard that's like this, that have gotten like a podcaster that has gotten uh, some sort of deal with a podcatcher like Stitcher and that it does not include exclusivity. So I'm just curious what's in it from the perspective of Stitcher, maybe to hire like advertising split within that uh, type of partnership. Maybe it's like a, you eat off of the advertising that you bring to the table type of thing. So if they bring 100% of the ads, if Stitcher does, if they bring 100% of the ads to the table, maybe they keep all of it and it, over time it adds up to more than the $10 million. I don't know. It's interesting, but it seems like a win-win. Shout out to Rory Mall and Goats doing goat shit. Next up in goats doing goat shit is Madam Issa Ray, And yes, I added the madam because that is some respect to her name. Issa Ray is a 36-year-old actress and executive producer, creator of an HBO hit show, Insecure, which is dope. And it's in its fifth and final season, which I have to catch up on, by the way, and then give you guys a recap and breakdown of. But Issa Rae is featured in Goats Doing Goat Shit here on the Spun Today podcast. Because her label, Hooray, nigga, Hooray, where's that from? That's from, uh, I think it's from like a Little Wayne song. It's a new day, we the champions, nigga, Hooray. Anyway, <laughs> but it's spelled who, H-O-O, Ray, R-A-E, like Hooray, as in like, yay, hooray, but R-A-E is how you spell Issa Ray's last name. So it's a pretty cool alliteration there. 
um, she has signed a new five-year contract with Warner Media. Now, previously, she signed up for like a two-year deal for Insecure. She re-signed for a, another three seasons after that. And now she signed like a wide five-year deal with Warner Media, valued at $40 million. $40 million. Let me get a round of applause for Issa Rae. That's fucking amazing. And now the what the deal gives HBO, see, this one kind of makes sense to me because I can see it from both sides. Issa gets the bag and, you know, her uh, production company, obviously. But H- what HBO gets is HBO, HBO Max, and Warner Brothers uh, Television has exclusive rights to Issa Rae's work in TV. So she can't put out like a TV show anywhere else. And they have a first look film deal, which means they got like the first right of refusal, they can pass, you know, if she creates a movie, um, they can pass on it and then she could sell it somewhere else. Um, but they have the first look film deal that spans Warner Media, um, all of its brands, including Warner Brothers Pictures Group, New Line, and HBO Max. So I see the skin in the game from the HBO perspective in this deal. Uh, but it's awesome, man. It's, I love that fucking come up. And Hooray, Issa Rae's production company, already had at least like 15 different projects in various stages of development within HBO anyway. So it's awesome to get, again, validated in that way, paid for what it is that you're doing, what you're creating, what you're producing, what you love to do. And she actually turned down a previous deal. And she was like on a on a Breakfast Club interview. And Charlamagne was like, why'd you, why'd you turn down? It was a multi-million dollar deal, the one before, right? And she was like, yeah, but you know, the number just wasn't right. And I love that. I love hearing that. I love creatives taking hold and ownership and just like objective acknowledgement of saying no like i know that's a lot of money but that's not what this is worth you know what i mean it's like if somebody offers you 10 million dollars for something but you know that something is worth 100 million it's like people could get lost in that 10 million and you're like no yeah i know of course 10 million is a lot of money but i'm selling this at 10 percent of what the fucking value is like that's not the value and i know that value when it comes to like creative things are subjective and and aren't as practical and like tangible as like like a fixed item or a good but to have that level of confidence in what it is that you're doing and acknowledgement of like the what you put into it and what you expect to get out of it and sticking to your guns and then having that validated with all right you're right you know hbo come back and saying yeah you're right it's worth a lot more than that here's 40 million it's like what that's fucking amazing and Issa's come up, you know, from before Insecure that, you know, the fact that she started with her, uh, just creating content on YouTube with a series called Awkward Black Girl back in 2011. And then that, you know, gaining uh, like attention online and her getting the Insecure deal in the first place and then just like blooming into into this and having her own production company that's into like a bunch of different things, whether it's movies, TV, music, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is just like the cherry on top. It's awesome to see. And the dopest part is that that YouTube channel that she started back in 2011, she's still also creating different content and allowing folks to create content within that channel and still supporting like that channel. You know, I have this like block above like my little bookshelf here that's next to me that I've had for years and look at it from time to time. You know, I have it like staring at me. So it's easy to 
when you see something every day, not looking at it every single day, but it's like literally right there in my face. But it says, when you get there, remember where you came from. And I love like the sentiment behind that. And I feel that doing things like that, like her still creating within her YouTube channel and stuff like that, even though she's at this $40 million creative space level is just a testament to that. When you get there, remember where you came from. Congratulations again to Issa Rae and Goats doing goat shit. And last but not least, in Goats doing goat shit, I got one last and final goat to big up during this segment, which is Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace to one of my favorites, my personal goat that I've you know spoken about in the past on this podcast, especially during uh, the time of his tragic passing. Uh, but one of the deals that I have mentioned, again, uh, specific to Kobe is one of his business deals, which was an investment in body armor. It was a deal where he invested $6 million and he had a 10% ownership stake in the body armor company. And it's a like a Gatorade competitor uh, type of drink. They're a sponsor of like the UFC and that $6 million deal, you know, proved lucrative because the company, you know, grew some. And now in a goats doing goat shit from the grave again, RIP, God bless the dead to Kobe Bryant. That move is still paying huge dividends. Coca-Cola purchased body armor and that $6 million 10% investment in the company body armor that Kobe had the foresight him and his, you know, financial people around them, obviously had the foresight of becoming a part of that $6 million investment post Coca-Cola purchasing them has become a $400 million. And what's dope is that when it initially proved to be a lucrative deal for Kobe after that initial $6 million investment was in 2018, when Coca-Cola bought a 15% stake in the company and he made millions off that. But now in November of 2021, Coca-Cola bought the remaining 85% stake of the company for $5.6 billion dollars billion with a B. The dopest cherry on top is that Coke announced the purchase at exactly 8.24 a.m. to commemorate the two jersey numbers that Kobe wore during his NBA career. How awesome is that? Let me get a round of applause for Kobe Bryant. And that, folks, is goats doing goat shit. And that's all I have for you, folks. Episode 197 of the Spun Today podcast is in the books. It's the last and final episode for 2021. I'm wishing you and yours Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever it is that you celebrate, what you observe. Enjoy it. Be present in it. Enjoy your loved ones. Happy, prosperous New Year to each and every one of you. I'll check you guys out in 2022. Before you go, though, please stick around to listen to a few ways you can help support the Spun Today podcast. You doing so helps me have the ability to create more content. I can record more shows. I can write more. I can focus even more on what I love and enjoy to do. So please take a minute or two and listen to a few of the different ways you can help support the show. You don't have to support in each and every way. Although if you're willing to, I'm not going to stop you. (laughs) But Every and any way that you do choose to support the show will be highly appreciated. I'll check you guys out in the new year. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. 
here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors in all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full-length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped-up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one.
If you want to help support the Sponsor Day podcast financially, you can do so by going to sponsorday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, sponsorday.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.